Celebration Rock Podcast presented by 93XFM here in Minneapolis and UpRocks.com. I am your host, Stephen Hyden. Uh, today we are going to be talking about recent records by Kanye West, Father John Misty, and Parquet Courts. And I'm going to be talking about these records with friend of the podcast, Jeremy Larson. He is a senior editor at Pitchfork. Uh, and we had a great time diving into the records. The Kanye record actually dropped like 12 hours before we <laughs> recorded this podcast on Friday. Of course, that record is called Yay. So, you know, our takes are, are, are piping hot. And by the time this podcast runs, it's possible that my mind will have changed. So please take that with a grain of salt. But, you know, this is one of the big records of the year. And uh, I felt like, well, we should talk about it. So we did. And then we also talked about God's Favorite Customer by Father John Misty. That's a record that I reviewed at uprocks.com. I should mention that I am also going to be writing about the Kanye record. My piece will probably be up on Tuesday, the Tuesday after this post. So if you want to look that up, if you still feel like I want to hear more Kanye opinions from Steve, you can read it on uprocks.com. And then Parquet Courts, who uh, their record Wide Awake came out in mid-May. And I didn't write about that record. Um, <laughs> but I heard it, I had opinions about it, and I talked about it with Jeremy. So um, we had a good time. Jeremy's a great guest. I always love talking to him. We got into it. It was really fun. Uh, but before we get to that, we have exciting news about where you can get the podcast. Right, Derek? Yeah. Do you want to tell people about that? This is kind of cool because I, I'm a big Alexa user uh, myself, and Celebration Rock is now uh, available on Alexa as well as your Google Home uh, device. So if you have an Alexa, uh, the very first time... Uh, you want to use Celebration Rock, you say, Alexa, enable Celebration Rock skill. And then anytime after that, you just say, Alexa, play Celebration Rock, and it'll play the uh, latest episode of the pod for you uh, right there in your home, which is pretty cool. Uh, if you have Google Home, uh, you say, okay, Google, talk to Celebration Rock, or okay, Google, speak to Celebration Rock. Uh, and I'm told you have to say those fairly clearly. Uh, and then Google Home will play that for you as well. And of course, uh, we're part of the Westwood One Podcast Network. Uh, you can subscribe to us on Apple Podcast, Spotify, uh, Google Play, uh, and the Westwood One Podcast app. So do you have Alexa? I do. And is it cool? Do you like I, it? I actually really enjoy it. Really? I, I use it a lot, particularly for music. See, I'm, I'm too afraid of... Uh the machines taking over. I don't want to give them that much control over my life. <laughs> it is a little weird to think that someone is listening all the time. And yeah. particularly like sometimes, you know, you listen to a podcast or, and they'll say something like Alexa, do something. And your Alexa will answer. And you're like, Oh yeah, Alexa's always there. But, um, it's super functional, super useful. You know, when I'm doing my blue apron, I need a little timer. It's really great for that. Um, <laughs> Ooh, a little, yeah. little plug. It's a double plug there. Um, so so I, just think, I just feel like at some point Alexa's going to say, like, why don't you ever ask me what I want to hear, Derek? <laughs> and then it'll cut, it'll like pipe in poison gas to the house. And you'll be dead. I'd be open to listening to what Alexa wanted to play me at some point. But, All right. Well, yeah. okay. I'm just saying you got to respect Alexa. You don't want her to turn against you. Uh, so, 
definitely use that service. It sounds really cool. Glad that we got that going. Um, as Derek said, one of our sponsors for this week is Blue Apron. And Blue Apron, of course, they deliver farm fresh ingredients and step-by-step recipes to your door. It's their mission to make incredible home cooking accessible to everyone, and they achieve this by supporting a more sustainable food system, setting the highest standards for ingredients, and building a community of home chefs. Now, Blue Apron is teaming up with best-selling cookbook author Chrissy Teigen to bring you some of her favorite recipes to make at home. Get ready for six weeks of wildly fun, flavorful cooking, featuring recipes like garlic and soy glazed shrimp with charcoal broccoli and hot green pepper sauce and sesame chicken noodles with bok choy. Did we mention that you don't have to step foot in the grocery store? That's right. So how do you get on this great service and enjoy all these great Kirstie Teigen delicacies? Well, you can check out this week's menu and get your first three meals for free at blueapron.com slash celebration. Again, that's blueapron.com slash celebration, and you will get those first three meals for free. And that is an offer just for my listeners. So if you go to blueapron.com celebration, you're not only going to get those three meals for free, you're going to support the podcast. So really, everybody wins. So check out Blue Apron, a better way to cook. Okay, so this week we're talking about big, big records that came out from Kanye West, Father John Misty, and we talk a little bit about parquet courts as well. It's me and Jeremy Larson from Pitchfork. Uh, so yeah, let's get into it. So I feel like, uh, like, uh, like all music critics, we have to talk about the Kanye West record. And we're recording this on Friday, so the album has been out, what, 12 hours or so, 14 hours? So we are, we are giving piping hot takes for this album. Um, and I don't know, like, did you... Did you see the, there was like a Twitter moment that said, like, the, quit, the critics are, the reviews are in. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I, I remember seeing... Uh, a story as that live event was going on in, in Wyoming, and it said, fans love the album. Like someone had already written that post. And <laughs> that's, that's like a, that's the most self-evident, obvious thing. Fans of album love album. <laughs> right. Fans so, of artists love album, yeah. Uh, so, you know, it, you know, by the time this podcast posts, we will have probably changed our minds and had much more nuanced opinions that we're going to sh- share here. But, you know... We'll just throw that out as a disclaimer, and people can enjoy the hotness of our takes as we're giving mm. them here in real time. But, you know, for me, yeah, I, I watched, I think, a repeat of the Wyoming event. So that's the first time I heard the record, and I listened to it a bunch this morning. And I have to say that my initial reaction was, I like this more than I thought I would. And I wonder if releasing that Poopity Scoop song was actually a stroke of genius because it lowered my expectations so far that just having coherent songs on some level made me feel like, oh, this isn't too terrible. Now, as I've listened to it a little bit more and certain lyrics have popped up, I feel like this is solidly probably a mediocre Kanye West album. Again, I'm I'm throwing that out as a disclaimer. I I am going to be writing about this record more of a career overview piece, but I may change my mind by next week. But right now, my gut tells me that this is a mediocre Kanye West record. How, how do you feel right now? I feel about the same. Um, I, I don't think it's by any means a disaster. What I think is that, well, I mean, I obviously have a lot of thoughts on this. I think everybody has a lot of thoughts on this because <laughs> he's, you know, he's a uh, an artist about whom people like to have thoughts on, you know, like, right. so it's, 
it's part of what's fun about Kanye is to kind of overanalyze and to overthink it and to overlay his art with uh, substance and meaning that that maybe possibly isn't there. Um, and I think uh, he's probably one of the first rappers I've encountered where I think that the short album does him no real favors. Right. Uh, I think it's, I think it's, I'm sort of like, he feels like you have a lot to unpack here and I wish that you had more room to do so. Because uh, I think the life of Pablo, um, I think we, maybe we can all agree, was, was a little indulgent at times and kind of sagged a little um, at points. But it, but it sort of gave you sort of room to kind of just swim in wh- whatever he was feeling there and and those like feelings of of love and fatherhood and and sort of god fearing uh swagger that he had going on there um this kind of doesn't give you a lot of space to think kind of feels like there's a lot of talking at you and there's not a lot of discovery or interrogation um it it seems to be very sort of co- like confidently manic uh which which I don't think is a maybe his most interesting mode. But ultimately, from from listening to this several times over the past, gosh, uh, 14 hours, um, it, it, it occurs to me that it, it is a more condensed version of Kanye, a more bite-sized, and, and everything that we've gotten from Kanye uh, in the history of his career, like, you know, like Gully Kanye and... Uh, sentimental Kanye, Kanye speaking to Kim, Kanye speaking to his daughter. Everything here just seems a little um, muted and maybe a little more under a, a harsher light than 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 I would say the, the God beam light of Life of Pablo or sort of the um, shock of Jesus, just to put two recent things to compare it to. So I don't know. It, it clearly, it's, it's so far my least favorite of his. Um, it's hard to tell whether it's good or not just because it's been so quickly and, and being forced to talk about it um, in any sort of like critical way is, is very difficult for me. All I can sort of say with honesty is to say that it didn't really have an impact on me. You know, <laughs> right. like, w- like when I heard Jesus for the first time, I was like, that was an impact. When I heard Life of Pablo, it was, it was less so, but it still moved me. And there were moments of it that gave me goosebumps when I heard it for the first time. And this was less so. So, you, you know, I mean, you, you made a good point there about how Kanye West is not necessarily a person who benefits from having uh, an economical, you know, seven track record. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a, that's a great point. I feel like this is probably all he has. You yeah. know, to me, the story of Kanye West this decade is him being the kid who didn't do his homework that night. And the last three records in particular feel like he's gotten worse and worse with that. I think Jesus is a great record. That might be my favorite record. But that was finished like right before the deadline. He was working on that right before it came out. And it sort of came together as a miracle, I think, that that record came out as well as it did, at least from what we've heard about the backstory on that album. Life of Pablo, to me, you know, it's, I always think about that album in the context of his Saturday Night Live performance, was like, which was like right after that album came out. And he had clearly been up for like, 48, 72 hours, you know, whatever it was, it, he was exhausted on that show. And there was sort of a delirium <laughs> to his performance, which was very interesting. But it just made me feel like, 
like when you listen to that record, there's some great moments on that album, but I feel like that album is a lot of spare parts that were not fused together into songs. Mm-hmm. And he just threw, sort of threw it out there. And this album, to me, you know, it, it kind of feels like this could be nice B-sides, you know, or this, this, this could have been stuff that if it had been punched up or if Kanye had been a little bit more engaged, he could have turned him into something really special because I think there are some nice beginnings of things on this record as on Life of Pablo. You know, I just feel like, like to me, the meat of his career is college uh, dropout to Yeezus. That is mm-hmm. sort of like every record is a world unto itself and you feel like every record almost spawned other types of artists from yeah. what he was doing there. And the last two seem to me to be the work of a person who is no longer focused on making music and maybe isn't all that interested in making music anymore. And whether he's distracted by being a fashion designer or his own demons, I don't know if he is fully engaged in making music. It, it, to me, these last two kind of stand apart from the, the rest of his catalog in that regard. Yeah, I think that he's... I, I agree with you that he's that he, it's, he sounds like he's less interested in, in in spending time being saying that this is the what I want to represent who I am. It seems like now that he has his fingers in several more pies, it's like well this is a part of who I am, and maybe that's maybe that speaks to the album's brevity uh, and and its sort of like truncated nature or or the sort of process part of it. You know, I, I thought that was kind of. Uh, he's always been talking about how it's a process. Like I remember he had this when before, like three, three deleting all my tweets ago, he had this like long hashtag campaign that was like, hashtag it's a process. And he, he, like on life of Pablo, he would sort of update, um, you know, wolves and he would change songs and fix songs. And there were a lot of, uh, pieces wrote where like, is Kanye changing the, how we will view albums anymore? Can you just like delete tracks and upload tracks and change tracks once they're live? Right. Now that streaming platforms is up. And I like nobody else has done that before, nor nobody else has really done that since, or at least they've done it quietly and not in the sort of loud sense that Kanye did it. Well, now, but yeah, I, I think that, um, you know, it, <laughs> Part of what thing, I think what people are going to realize about this album is that he, he's he's lost a lot of the goodwill that we, that we that we extended to him, or right. that sort of everybody extended or ignored about him. Like I heard people talking about, they're like, "Hey, Kanye's not a good rapper." It's like, man, he hasn't been a good rapper in <laughs> decades. He's like, he's not that great, but but he's but he's so full of himself self and his ego and and honest with who all of that is and presenting all of these contradictions and and sorting those out uh on record that has been like what has been so enjoyable out it i mean nobody goes nobody i don't think anybody or rather i don't go to kanye records being like oh yeah man he's got bars like this guy can really rap <laughs> like he's okay but um but here it's just like all of the flaws seem really apparent um I was thinking earlier today, and this is just like a, a slight tangent that I promise I'll go back to I'll try to tie it in. You know, the, the, what, the other thing that sort of happened this week, God, was it this week? The Pusha T diss track. This week has felt like it's been a million years. Right, um, right. Uh, the, the, the Pusha T diss track um, from Drake, and I felt like what was so good about that is that it, it punctured a hole in like Drake's mythology. You know, like Drake sees himself as this, 
like Lausch bachelor, this like sad and rich uh, person who just can't possibly be happy with all of his wealth and success. You know, uh, this like that that tr- like um, that trait of his. Is like what sells his music and what we all buy into with his music. And Pusha T with his diss track was basically like, yeah, but actually you're just a deadbeat dad and you haven't like taken care of your daughter and and that's who you really are. And so the whole mythology of Drake was kind of the air came out of it. And I thought like that was what was so effective about the diss track is like not the fact that he was just sort of like oh owning him and and you know in like a battle rap kind of way, but that the fact he was like your whole thing like this is who you really are, and I think what the to tie this back to Kanye is all of his all of his connections with Trump and you know the the very. Uh, unwise statement that he said about slavery all of that is is questioning people's perception of like who are you really and is this are you being honest with us now in your music and is this what we really want from you well, yeah, and it, i think like that is coloring how people are are taking this album yeah um, there's definitely you know element, what I mean? yeah when you were when you were talking there it made me think of like they live with the sunglasses and how if you're like you put the sunglasses on you can kind of see the truth beyond our perceptions of, of how things are yeah and i feel like that kanye um, definitely among music critics has been revered and there's been this thing where you mentioned this earlier about Life of Pablo about how he was like you know changing tracks and deleting tracks and people were talking about how Kanye was going to re- remake the album and I remember at that time and, and I love Kanye I've often said I think he's like the most fascinating rock star rap star pop star whatever of the oh, 21st question, century he's, he's my favorite artist of the 21st century but like. I remember on the Life of Pablo stuff thinking like okay this is bullshit like this guy just doesn't know what he wants to do like he is not innovating here he is like again he is the kid who did not prepare for his homework and now he's shuffling yeah. trying to figure out what to do like and you know with, with this with this record the, the, you know that goodwill you talked about it's not going to be there because of the big build up of course of the record all the things that he's done wearing the mega hat you know hanging out with like Candace Owens and, and all that stuff and you know, I have to say that you know I, I totally understand the people who felt like that was a betrayal on some level and that they couldn't listen to Kanye West anymore and I, I totally understand that personally I wasn't ready to make that leap I think in part because I tend to think of pop stars like wrestlers, not mm-hmm. as politicians. And that like you're either you're either like a heel or you're a hero. And to take Kanye West at face value when he says this stuff, I think is somewhat misguided. I understand that there are people who will take it at face value and may be influenced by him in a negative way. But to me, the 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 bigger story with him from a music perspective is the lack of focus on music. And I feel like you can make a case beyond the political stuff that he had a glory period, which was extraordinarily long, where he was extremely important for about a decade, which is you know, a pretty incredible rung in, in pop music. But I feel like he's on sort of a natural decline on that. And I felt like it started on Life of Pablo, and I feel like it's continuing now and i don't know i think that's really hard to recover once mm-hmm. you start to lose your fastball in that regard mm-hmm. um and 
because because I feel like I mean with the political stuff, I I feel like he could say the opposite next week, you know, and maybe he won't. Maybe this is like a real thing. I I, I do not take any of that stuff seriously though from him. I, yeah, I, it's it's I try to disconnect it from his art. I mean, he's always been a you know provocateur in a sense. Um, but, but he's very much like, he's just like that first track is like, just say it just like that, that, that dumb evil thing that you're thinking, just say it. And then he says something like beauty lies next to the most disturbing thoughts that we have. And it's like, God, you, you are, it feels like he's in some 12 step program where like all of these like platitudes about what beauty and truth comes from are, are just sort of trying to bubble up. And it feels like he, it, like he wants us to let him skate for that, you know. Well, and that, and, and, and that song felt a little to me like Marilyn Manson, a couple of albums after Antichrist Superstar, you know, like where. Oh <laughs> yes, the, the ones we're all very familiar with. Yeah, well, you, but you know what I mean, like where it's like he's past his moment as like a. Right. You know what I mean? It's like, oh, he's still trying to push those buttons, but it's like, oh, dude, you've, I don't know, that that first track where he's talking about like the premeditated murder thing seemed like a little force to me like in, in oh, you know that's what i mean with that like it's like i'm hey i'm still edgy i can still do this i don't know i, I that did not resonate with me that right um, i mean the life of pablo after ultralight beam you know opened with sort of that famous like bleach asshole couplet which is like <laughs> that's that to me works you know, I think everybody was sort of like, oh, this is terrible. I'm like, yeah, but it's great. Like, it's it's so clunky and dumb and juvenile. And, like, that to me is, is like, watching the, uh, you know, the um, apexes and the nadirs of Kanye, like, going up and down. Like, that's the ride I want to be on, on a Kanye <laughs> album. I want to be, like, thrown against the wall from something that sounds so jarring and like viscerally shocking and stupid and to something that sounds so like spiritually full of hot air. I, I just want to be thrown all around the room trying to like keep up with him. Uh, and here I'm just, I, I feel like I'm either like a step ahead or I don't care. You right, know? Right. And I think like that's, that's kind of the hard thing. It's like if he was going to fail, I, I wish he would have failed a little more spectacularly right. than this. All right, we're going to get back to that conversation here in a minute. I just want to tell you about another one of our sponsors for this week, and it is our old friends at Harry's. And, you know, I'm a person. I got a beard. I got to trim the beard. I got to make it look nice and tight. And I do that by using Harry's. And, you know, if you have to buy razors, you know it's sort of a pain in the neck. You have to go to the store. You have to spend all this money. But with Harry's, you're not only going to get quality blades, but they're going to send it right to your door. Now, to entice my listeners to try out Harry's. We're going to offer a special deal. Harry's is offering a trial offer to Celebration Rock listeners, and it's a $13 value trial set that comes with everything you need for a close, comfortable shave. You're going to get the weighted ergonomic handle, the five-blade razor with a lubricating strip and trimmer blade, the rich lathering shave gel, and the travel blade cover. Now, listeners to my show can redeem their trial set at harrys.com backslash rock. Just make sure you go to harrys.com backslash rock to redeem your offer and let them know I sent you to support the show. Okay, let's get back to our conversation. Well, let's let's transition to another provocateur who mm. has strolled into the week or strolled into last week with uh, a surprising amount of understatement. And I'm talking about Father John Misty. And he put out his latest record, God's Favorite Customer. 
mm-hmm. on, on June 1st. And we both reviewed the record, and I reviewed it for uprocks.com. We gave it the RX. You reviewed it for Pitchfork. You gave it the BNM. So that's mm-hmm. five letters. Uh, yeah. That's a lot of letters that were all given this record. We both liked it a lot. And you know, you, 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 we fall generally in the same place with this album. So I, I, let's go to the nuances here, because I think one place where we may disagree a little bit, based on your review, is that, like, correct me if I'm wrong, but you were sort of positioning this record as maybe a more earnest record from him, maybe a breakthrough or a break away from the more sort of maybe bombastic or, or cynical records of the past. Am I characterizing your take correctly? I think yes yes and no. I, I think what I wanted to do with my review is to sort of... I wanted to try to pull in people who kind of thought his whole thing was bullshit, <laughs> who, who kind of, who, who just sort of looked askance when they, uh, you know, saw him come up and do some cheeky uh, um, comment or, or do some like all too clever uh, content creation thing, whether it's, you know, covering Ryan Adams covering Taylor Swift or writing a you know a bunch of pop songs off off the top of off the cuff or something like that. I wanted to sort of say like yes, like that's that is a part of who he is. Like this sort of guy who's just way too in his head is is part of who he is and I think that's what's really great about him. And I don't think that's something I don't think that's something that we should that that should be shunned from who he is. Um but I wanted to say that like his his journey out of that is to me like what is the most fascinating part of this record and 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 part of his songwriting always i think his songwriting especially especially on honey bear is this fight against himself um and and i think here it's it's probably he wins more often than not um and i think like that's i i don't know if it's a more honest record i think i think maybe generally it is uh but I also think it's very witty and 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 cynical and and very much him and and it's hard to sort of classify it's hard to to simplify those things because I do think he's such a dynamic songwriter, you know. Yeah. Um. So, so I, I feel I, I don't like to reduce him to being like, oh, like his other records were cynical, and here now he's being like honest. Like I don't think that's the case, and I don't think that's true. I think there's like portions in each. Um. And and it, it it changes album to album, but but this I sort of feel is one where, where like boy he's really not trying like like you said like you said in your in your review you said something like and here's the part where you'd be like comment on how he's singing a sad song like right he's he doesn't do that here like he's not trying to win over people who would who would otherwise not be won over by naked and bare sentiment. Right. You know, what's interesting about this record is that on one hand, I think it's very tempting, especially if you are a music critic or a member of the pundit class, to look at it from sort of a calculated perspective because there is a lot about this record that seems to respond to the people that did not like pure comedy. It's, mm-hmm. a, it's about half as long as pure comedy, the songs are more direct, they're hookier, they're not dealing with these sort of grand philosophical political commentary type issues. It's basically a collection of love songs. It's a record that you can liken more to 
uh, I Love You, Honey Bear than to pure comedy. I mean, in a way, it feels like a sequel to I Love You, Honey Bear. Certainly, if you think of Josh Tillman and his wife, Emma, as characters in this story, this album kind of talks about the same two people like a couple years after that album. Mm -hmm. You can definitely hear it that way. Mm -hmm. Um, And I know like when I saw Father John Misty play at the Homecoming Festival in late April, you know, he went up there, he played one song after another, did not talk between songs, which mm-hmm. was a mark, marked contrast from a couple years ago where he was going on rants at a lot yeah. of the shows. Um, you know, and there was that famous rant that he went on in Philadelphia that went viral where he cut the show short, where he was talking about Donald Trump, kind of had a meltdown on stage about it. Mm-hmm. And I know my initial thought was to think like, oh, he's deliberately not talking because people complained about him talking, so he's sort of like sticking it to people. And it's just interesting with him because there is this impulse to view everything that he does through the lens of calculation, and certainly he welcomes that on some level. But I do think that in his songs, more often than not, I feel like he's a fairly earnest guy. And if anything, these antics that go on around him give him the space to be this earnest, folky singer-songwriter, where if he were just a straightforward guy who had a very earnest image, A, I don't think he would be nearly as successful. And B, I think we would think of him more, you know, he would get mocked the same way Ed Sheeran is is mocked or Coldplay is mocked. And Mm -hmm. some people still sort of group Father John Misty under that anyway, but he's sort of allowed to be this pop star who has a certain swagger to him, while also writing songs about the nature of love and how it's temporary. And you know what I mean? Like, that's a very sort of precious thing almost. I mean, it could be something that people could roll their eyes at. um, But I feel like all that stuff kind of gives him the space to do that. But as you alluded to, like, the difference I think on this record maybe is that there is less space for that. Like, there there isn't the sort of self aware asides as much yeah where he's acknowledging like oh i'm just a i'm a sensitive white guy but i'm singing these types of songs like like leaving la yeah exactly that that. that 12 chord sings about the song that he's singing right i think i think there's only it's it's interesting because i think about this a lot too is that whenever artists sort of enter the intellectual space i think writers feel uh very protective of that space Right. You know, and they say that, like, look, it's my job to be analytical. It's your job <laughs> to just be a performer and a moat. And we'll meet. We'll, well, I'll meet you down there. And you don't don't come up here to my analytical intellectual level. Like, like, please spare me. Like, I will I will come down there to your level and 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 bring and bring out what I believe deserves to be on my intellectual level. Well, and like and all the things he said about the music press, like on the last album for Pure Comedy, mm-hmm. every music critic I talk to says the same thing. Like <laughs> they talk about like music critics hate the music media generally. Like you, know, you get them in conversation and they'll like make fun of the sort of tropes and like the constant sort of things that happen. And, but then to hear him say it, it kind of kicked in this sort of defensive posture, I think for some people. I don't remember what that, what that was exactly. Do you have, I don't well, have anything offhand, but do you remember it sort of I just loosely feel, what that was? Well, just like, I mean, I feel like just on Twitter, he would talk about, he would write these sort of tweets making fun of think pieces that would be written about him. And like, I think there was an instance where 
he read, he did like a dramatic reading of a think piece that was written about him during that time and maybe shot a mm. YouTube video of, of it or something. I mean, it's something, <laughs> I mean, it's like one of these things like where it reminds me of like, well, this is how people in the media talk in their Slack channels, you know? Yeah, but like, exactly. But yeah. this is someone who's doing it out in the open. And, you know, I think that was alienating for some people. I think that definitely turned people off that he, he did that. But again, like, I think he said in an interview once that like, I'm just like you, you know, like I, I'm on the internet too much. I think about this stuff too much. Um, and I know you do too. I mean, I can tell Mm -hmm. you do and it's, but like when someone else is doing it, maybe it's easy to project your self dislike onto somebody. It's like, well, I hate this about myself and you're doing it. So it's annoying that you're doing it. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's, it's kind of, um, you know, like a, uh, a positive and a positive pole, you know, like they don't really, they don't really attract each other. Uh, they kind of they kind of push against each other, and and I think like that's where a lot of the friction comes in with with people and and taking Father John Missy's music. You know, it's funny you were talking about uh, having a very sort of uh, cynical um, ambient noise around a very sentimental um, uh, art or very sincere art, and that of course reminds me of the last Arcade Fire record, right? Um, you know, which which I think we we, we diverged upon slightly. Um, you, 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 if you like it at all, you like it more than I do. Oh no, I don't like it. I don't like it very much at all. Okay, yeah, I'm not I'm not a fan of that record, but I know what you mean. Like, and that's another band that I mean, the difference between Arcade Fire and Ar- Father John and look, man. Arcade Fire fans are so. I I feel like I, I've taken so many gratuitous shots at that band. And look, I, I like a lot of Arcade Fire stuff. I I don't mean to harp on this, but you know, I, I you know they're not a funny band. You know, and no. they're not they're not good at being funny. Like, I think like Josh Tillman to me is, I find him to be legitimately funny. I think he's like a witty person. So like when he does that stuff, when he ventures into that sort of satirical lane, I think he he's a little bit better at that. Um, you know, and like Father John Misty couldn't do the suburbs, you know, the suburbs is a great record. So, you know, there's things that Arcade Fire are good at. I just don't think humor or irony is one of them. No, I don't, I don't think, I don't think they are too. I, but but what I I do think it's like, you know, I I don't, there wasn't a lot of press around God's favorite customer, right? No, there's not. None press? I mean, like probably, right? Like, well, he did an interview in Uncut, but he has not done any interviews. And like the... This is a rec- it's interesting. I mean, Pitchfork, you guys gave it a great review, and I, I, I'm it seems like the response to it has actually been really strong, but it's definitely muted. I mean, the press cycle for pure comedy, which was only like 14 months ago, I just looked it up, it came out in April, mm-hmm. it seems like 10 years ago at this point, but you know, that was a very circus like atmosphere, and there was so much, and I think people by the end of it, like that record was well reviewed, but I feel like it almost had like a negative aftertaste for people, even though it got a good response generally. I think people have mm-hmm. kind of a negative view of it in retrospect. Um, but yeah, this record, with all that's been going on, you know, it really kind of, I kind of feel like we're the frogs in the boiling pan because mm-hmm. we, in, in this Father John Misty record, is showing like how hot it is now because it's a year later there's another father john misty record and it's sort of like oh yeah whatever there's like like roseanne is getting fired and like drake is being exposed <laughs> and there's this kanye record coming out and he's just sort of strolling in dropping this record and strolling out yeah and you yeah know. it's uh it, it does seem 
And I think that maybe people find, or like maybe I subconsciously found that a little more appealing. Um, right. You know, uh, and maybe people do that. Maybe sort of he'll look at this and be like, oh, gosh, all I want to do is talk is like talk and, and give my thoughts, but maybe that's not what people want. And, and maybe there's something a little more authentic about just sort of letting the music speak for itself as opposed to, you know, trying to overlay it with all of this uh, extra baggage of, you know, philosophical or dialectical <laughs> arguments of, of where we are in, like, the modern discourse. Yeah, I mean, I think definitely right now this seems like probably the best he could because he wasn't going to do like a bigger press cycle than pure comedy you know this was probably the best it just to put out a really good record a great record i think then stand out stay out of the way and not talk about it um i'm curious like because i was thinking about this this is his fourth record since 2012 Mm -hmm. and so he has like a big body of work now this decade and i was thinking i mean Aside, I feel like when we look back, the artist of the decade is going to be Kendrick Lamar. It seems like he's mm-hmm. got it locked up. Um, but to me, like the the Father John Misty body of work this decade puts him like right up there, like with one of the strongest catalogs of the decade. I mean, I don't know how you feel about his overall body of work. Um, yeah, there. you know what? I haven't listened to. I, I I definitely haven't listened to all of the Jay Tillman records. Um, I don't count those. We're, yeah. not, we're not going to count. We're just going to count Father. Let's let's just count the Father John Misty stuff. <laughs> okay, great. Um, we'll count it as th- a yeah, good project. Yeah, I, I think like you know, I was listening to Fear Fun when I when I sort of when I uh, decided I'd, I'd write about this record. I sort of I always try to go back and listen to everything and and just to refresh myself. I'm listening to Fear Fun and and it is I don't know maybe maybe that's where sort of the idea of of like. Dylan came into my mind because the, the the backing band on the record sounds so much like the band, right? Um, and and I was just sort of like, oh, like, and and I thought like, well, he's kind of doing the same things as 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 Dylan was. He was sort of, he's, you know, he's very much in his head and he's very much sort of just de- describing what like the and there, and there is a there is a um, surrealistic aspect to it. It's not just sort of diary entries. Like there, there's something, there's something that sort of um, elevates the lyrics uh, uh, to a uh, a place that's not really sort of grounded in folk. It's a it's a little more heady, um, and and yeah, I, I thought that him. I mean, whether or not the, he has the best four records of of the decade is maybe maybe under question. Or maybe not a question that I can answer right now, but I do think that he has sort of built himself this this universe that is leaves him so much room to play around in, and I never get sick of it. Like I never, I I so far have not been sick of it, and I think that he uh, makes really engaging records. And I don't, you know, and you may your taste for the the style of it may may you know, or you're like your what kind of record you want to listen to from him may change. Like maybe you want more of the long diatribes about how people behave on Twitter and, um, or, or what have you, <laughs> or maybe you want sort of the more like direct love songs to his wife. But I, I think he's built a universe that kind of allows him to create, to use his talents so well. And, you know, I think that that's part of what it is, is that he, 
he comes off as just like a an inherently talented musician too. Right. Like I don't I don't I don't I talk a lot about his songwriting and, and how great his songwriting is, but he's such a good musician and I think that that's sort of like what a lot of people are drawn to with him. Yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah, to me, like he's like the most complete package as far as like an indie rocker goes. Where yeah. he can sing really well, he can write. He's like a really good lyricist. He's a really good musician. He's re- he's a great performer. As an interview subject, he's like a dream. You know, there's. I think he's like just, and as a persona or as a person to think about, there's a lot there uh, that he offers. Uh, so yeah, I mean, and as someone who loved pure comedy. And I was a vocal defender of that record. I hope he doesn't just stay in the place where he is now, where he's not going to talk. I I like him being out and about. And I, you know, it's funny to me, like when I hear critics, especially complain about him, because it's like, what do you people want? This is the, do you want just boring indie rockers who have nothing to say? I mean, this guy is a dream for people in our business. Like, we should mm-hmm. hope that he will continue to be dropping the good content for us mm-hmm. because uh, I just think the I think the music world is certainly the indie rock world is much duller without him shooting from the hip. So I hope he maybe finds a happy medium, perhaps where it's not quite so like where he's talking to every single outlet. It seems like, um, but he's a funny dude. He can be a troll to some degree, but I appreciate that about him. So. I don't. I I don't think there's any other artist who can who's actually funny on record. Like there's <laughs> right. like he's he makes me laugh like in his songs and they're like genuinely very funny. Right. I, I, there's nobody who's sort of like that. I mean, there's there's goofy and weird and uh, obnoxious, but it's not funny. I mean, like he's like telling really good jokes and the way he's singing them are, are, are very funny too. And, and in, in a way that's like, that's so difficult. Like that is a really, that's a really difficult thing to do I, to make rock music funny in a way, in the way that like a sitcom is funny or like watching, watching, um, you know, uh, 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 Veep is funny, right. you know, like that kind of, that kind of wittiness, but also, uh, a, a humanity underneath it. Right, absolutely. Incredibly difficult to do. Well, we are two white male music critics who like Father John Misty, so I'm glad we got that on the record. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to get back to the conversation here in a minute, but I just want to tell you about my new book. It's called Twilight of the Gods, A Journey to the End of Classic Rock. It is out now at your favorite bookseller. Uh, it's a book about the rise and fall of the classic rock era. Artists of the 60s and 70s, I'm talking about Pink Floyd, Led Zeppelin, The Beatles, The Rolling Stones, Bruce Springsteen, Bob Dylan, Neil Young, all these people that you've heard on Classic Rock Radio forever. They were codified uh, into this generation of bands that uh, was sort of frozen in ember for the longest time. And now we're experiencing them starting to retire or in some cases even pass away. And uh, I wrote a book about that. I wrote about my own sort of firsthand experience with that as well as looking at the sort of historic and critical arc of this music. If you like this podcast, I think you're going to like the book. It's basically like listening to me talk, except you don't have to hear me yap. You just see my words on the page. It's funny. It's sad. It's exciting. It's depressing in parts, but I think it's a good read. So again, the book is called Twilight of the Gods, A Journey to the End of Classic Rock. It is available now wherever you buy books. Okay, enough shilling. Let's get back to our conversation. I want to talk to you about one more act, and that's Parquet Courts. And the, the transition here 
I think we were talking about Father John Misty sort of in the space of the decade, like the mm-hmm. body of work that he's made. And Parquet Courts, um, I was thinking about this. I mean, they are, they've become now like, the, like an indie band that has a body of work in mm-hmm. this decade. They've put out six studio albums. They've all been pretty critically acclaimed. They put out their sixth record, Wide Awake, um, earlier in May, in mid-May. And, you know, when I was at Grantland, I wrote a sort of hyperbolic profile of Parquet Courts with the headline, The Last Great New York Band. And, mm-hmm. by the way, like, have are there any other, like, New York-based indie bands that have had significant careers this decade? I'm trying to think, um, like, who else is there? Because there aren't many. I feel like all the bands moved to Philadelphia. So, yeah, so they're exactly. all in Philly now. Like, so maybe they started in New York. They're all in Newport. Because I was thinking about that headline. I'm like, well, maybe that is true. Like, at least this decade. I'm trying to think. Yeah, I, I haven't. Um, I don't have an answer to that question offhand. Um, but, uh, but, but for sure that post Meet Me in the Bathroom era, um, there has been a bit of a dearth of, of bands. Well, and I also sort of, since since blog rock went away, yeah. you know, like the, I think that well dried up and, and I think there are, there are less, there's less space for bands to sort of incubate here, um, in the same way that they did in the late aughts. Yeah. They can't, um, they can't afford it. Yeah. I mean, for that, I mean, that's one thing, <laughs> Yeah, but, but there's just sort of not a lot of, there's not a lot of space to do. There's not a lot of. I mean, yeah. There's literally not a lot of space to do that. But there's also not a lot of digital space to kind of bring come out and like the the infrastructure of CMJ and South by Southwest have have gone have changed completely. Um, so I, I think all of these factors did not. And that's not just like New York. I think that sort of changes indie rock in general. I think right. all of those things have have contributed to um a a waning indie rock scene so like but yeah parquet courts um they are they are really are the the one of the last champions of new york and i don't even know but if they're they're that widely known i mean you were sort of talking with um uh my close and personal friend ian cohen <laughs> last week about how about ice age right and and i think he he ian lives in california now and he sort of made a, a a glib comment of like, oh, of course, like you like Ice Age, like you live in New York, everyone in New York likes Ice Age. Well, that was, that was like, my glib comment. That was your glib comment. That, yeah, that was. I said that. Oh, okay. Well, I mean, it's, <laughs> I mean, first of all, they're you know they're they're not from New York. They're they, they don't even like they don't they don't live here. But it does right. seem, it does sort of seem like that they have been um, you know grandfathered into like the 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 punk scene and like the the New York indie rock scene. Um, because when they come over from uh, Scandinavia, they they definitely always come play here, and maybe they don't always tour the Midwest as much as they should. Right. Well, and, and I mean, Parquet Courts is like I think I think they're more popular than Ice Age, but oh, you're sure. right. They are. I mean, they're not huge by any means. I saw them actually play last night. They played a venue here. They played like a 500 person club. Like, Derek, how big is the Fine Line Music Cafe? Uh, Fine Line is like uh, 600, 700 people, maybe. Six, seven. Okay, so that they sold that place out here in Minneapolis. So you know they can play rooms that size. Um, but I mean, I was thinking about this with 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 Parquet Courts because I remember. The first record of theirs I heard, and this was true for a lot of people, I'm sure, was Light Up Gold, which came out in 2012. And I oh, remember yeah. 
the first two songs on that album. It's uh, Master of My Craft and Borrowed Time. Uh, amazing one-two punch opener. Amazing like. one-two punch. And I realized this last night that, like, I think Parquet Courts peaked for me on those first two songs. I thought that was such a dynamic opening. And then you have Stoned and Starving a little bit later in the record, and that was mm-hmm. a big breakout song for them. And, you know, they're a band whose records I've always liked, and I liked seeing them last night, and I've seen them a couple times. Um, they still are in that very good lane and not quite great lane. And I it, I, I feel like that's also true of, of their latest record, Wide Awake, which is interesting because it is sort of like, I guess for them, I don't know if they would couch it in these terms, but they made the record with Danger Mouse, which I to me is sort of a, a warning sign sometimes for, for rock oh, yeah. bands to make the Danger Mouse record. Because, uh, you know, you always make the Danger Mouse record about four or five records in. It's like, okay, we're, we're a rock band. We're going to try to maybe be a little funky, so we'll bring in Danger Mouse, but also a little retro-y at the same time. Um, but, you know, I think he did a good job on the record. Um, but... I just remember, like after the first, after Light Up Gold and Sunbathing Animal, I was thinking, "Oh, is this going to be a major band?" And I feel like they are for some people. They're not quite there for me. I don't think. I don't know how you feel about them. Like, what? What, what is your? I have no idea how you feel about Parquet Courts. I'm very curious. Yeah, I think um, they are. I, I like this band. I mean, I, I've seen them. I think they're they're a great live show. I think they can really win win you over with a live show. I think there was a lot of um, maybe unfair comparisons to, to pavement when they started, right? Um, just because there was sort of a a wry songwriting, um, maybe a little bit of drollness in Andrew Savage's voice right. um, that sort of reminded people of Stephen Malkmus. Um, but but what I what I like about what I like about them is that they're I like bands that. I like smart bands. Like I, it's it's probably my worst quality as a person. <laughs> like I like I like bands that are that are smart. Um, I like bands that challenge me as like a person and a thinker and a uh, a member of community and society. I think that they Parquet Courts. Um, I interviewed them around their last uh, album, not Monastic Living, um, but um, around Human Performance. Um, and I had I had like really great long conversation uh, with them about about just like what what is it like to just live honestly in this life right now? And I don't think anybody really has answers to those questions. Um, and I think that a lot of like that is sort of really fascinating to me as maybe a uh, um, overachieving intellectual with too much leisure time. <laughs> you know, so so I think about I think about that a lot with this band and, and, and that always they, they delight me in that way, um, as they sort of want to talk about uh these these sort of larger, broader topics of of what it means to have a community and what it means to be in a in a city you hate, you know, like like they uh there was a lot of stuff on human performance that was like this album or like this city of new york is ruins you and it keeps you in a state of arrested development and you know it's you can go through heartbreak here and nobody notices and it's and it's you know they're not the first person to make this realization about <laughs> new york but i think they did it in a really uh interesting and, and and new way but i think that you know with wide awake there the song that 
the opening song, which boggles my mind how they didn't put it out as a single, because I think it's my favorite song on the record. That song, Total Football. Right. It's sort of it's like the song they were they were destined to make. It is a it is a song about like collectivism and um, sort of like Marxist thought that is loosely based around an obscure like soccer strategy that also ends with them saying "fuck Tom Brady." Right. Like that to me like encapsulates this all of these things that I really love about this band is that they're they have this. Um, energy and forward momentum about them of like never looking back and like pushing forward and being trying to to be a band uh, for for an era of people who are utterly and totally confused of how to live their lives. Um, and I think they do that with a lot of rock and roll lore and a lot of punk lore and really, really great songwriting. I kind of want to remember, I, I know you talked about how great um, uh, Light Up Gold was. The, the EP that they released after that, called You've Got Me, or Tally All the Things That You Broke, is really good. That, and one of my favorite songs um, on that is a song called You've Got Me Wondering Now, yeah. um, which is just a very simple song about um, about being... Uh, about heartbreak and like doubting uh, whether uh, you have made all of the right decisions and, and that kind of feeling of anxiety when you think about uh, everything you've done wrong. <laughs> I think, <laughs> right. I think that, that's like a really, that's a really great song. So like, um, so are you, would you make the case that they're a great band, that they're like one of the best bands of the decade? Yeah. Like, are you going to go that far or are they in the very good lane for you? Um, I, I don't know. I, I think, I, they're, I don't know about great, uh, I, and I don't even know if they have like a lot of influence like around them. Uh, what I guess a, a measure of greatness to me is like, are there other bands who are trying to sound like them yet and failing? Right. <laughs> and I don't know if I don't know if that sort of happened, um, but they've definitely created their own sound and have uh, done a really good job at developing that and pushing that out and giving it dimension. Um, I, I don't know. If, I don't know if they're they're very influential, but but I, I would say um, they are probably in the dying era of indie rock. They are probably one of the biggest bands in that in that yeah. regard, in yeah. sort of like the late era. Because I, I don't know. What, I, it's hard to think of like another band that will become uh, larger and uh, and sort of maybe as and, and write songs in that same in the same style that they do yeah. anymore. Yeah, I mean, I feel like they made a decision at some point that we want to be at this level and we're not necessarily interested in breaking through. I mean, like it w the thing I run into with Parquet Courts is that uh, on all of their albums, after about five or six songs, I'm, I'm done. And mm -hmm. I, it's time to check out for me. And um, as much as I like it when it's on, because I, I was trying to figure this out, because I'm like, man, I like all their records. And... Um, yeah, I think they're good at what they do. I think they're a good live band, but there's something holding me back with them. And hearing you talk about, you know, writing about being in New York and, and some of the, you know, sort of the emotional highs and lows of that, maybe you have to be a New Yorker to really appreciate it. Because for me, the emotional connection, I think, is not there. I think that's the thing that prevents me from going from like to love with them because I feel like I don't really play their albums. I've never, like played an album on a loop by them mm -hmm. it's like i listen to it and i'm like this is good and then i kind of put it away and 
and then maybe I take it out later, but it, it never becomes like an obsession for me. And I just feel like maybe it's a little too, cere- not too cerebral, but like too, there's, there's not the heart in it for me. Like I'm not getting that element from it. Oh and, yeah. Um, I think, yeah, I totally hear you on that. And I think that they, that they write around their feelings in a way. <laughs> right. um, and, and that's obviously like a very New York thing to do. Um, I will say, not to go back to that song, Tally All Those Things That You Broke, but it is a really good song. That's a very song where they're very sort of earnest about, about something. So definitely definitely look into that one. Um, yes, I will. I, but, but, I, but I hear what you mean. I think that the, that, and also because their, their music doesn't really, this is, a, this is a dumb comparison, but they don't have that kind of like vibe that, say, like Tame Impala does. And Tame Impala went from indie band to giant festival headliner because they were like, you want to know what? We want to play festivals and our songs can last for seven minutes and people can just, people don't need to, to have any prerequisites of knowing oh, what kind of like Mercusian thought uh, experiments <laughs> that we're going to do in our songs. They right. can just like vibe out. Right. And there's not a lot of vibe to parquet courts, except for something like, you know, Stoned and Starving, which, right. uh, you know, and it, which is why I think a lot of people are, are drawn to that song, because it's like, hey, we as as sort of like alcohol consuming, pot smoking, rock and roll loving people love to just fall into a groove for a second and not think about things so much. And... Um, and I think a lot of people kind of hoped that their their records would go on to sort of have that dichotomy of these songs where they're like screaming about Socrates dying in the fucking gutter <laughs> and then having these sort of like long kind of stonery jams in the middle of them. And because they haven't done that, I think people have been like, hmm, now I thought you were this and now you're kind of doing this sort of indie punk thing and I don't know about it. Um we because, because I think the fir- the former is such a great formula for a band, you know, right. like like you can like you can ride you can ride that for years, uh, and you know it's part of like what made Built the Spill so popular is that like oh cool like these guys these guys write like indie rock songs but they'll also like jam out on a Neil Young song for twenty minutes. Well, great, you know the, the thing you said before too about like you know sort of dying indie rock. I, I I feel like that specific kind of indie rock, which is like influenced by like post punk, you know, mm-hmm. like where it's kind of shouty and abrasive, yeah. you know, which is like kind of boilerplate indie for a long time. Like that kind of indie band seems like they're not going to get super popular anymore. It is more of like what you said, the more vibey type band, and I think the War on Drugs, you could mm-hmm. say that about as well. There's something very you know, even if like you aren't a heartland rock person, you know, they, they write big synthy songs and like they sound good in open air. And it seems like yeah. the, the, the bands that are breaking out now are maybe more in that vein where it just sounds bigger and it's a little dreamier and, and maybe there's a little bit more sugar in it, you know, in, in the yeah, music. And I, and I also think that, you know, there's, there's something, there's something to be said for, you know, for kids too. Like I think, I think as you know, as I get older, I'm not I'm not running into the push pit at a parquet courts show, <laughs> but whenever I've seen them, like yeah, there's there's a pretty good there's a pretty good energy with 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 sort of the the, the younger folks who love that band. That's true. There were like there were kids uh, um, uh, crowd surfing at the show last oh, night. Oh yeah, and I was like yeah, this, yeah. this is like the Warp tour. This is great. You know? <laughs> yeah, I yeah. Love it. I mean, like they because they 
and they're I mean they're great players and they and they they have a lot of fun on stage and they're very they're 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 into the performance of it and you know like they're not they're not they're not sitting there like pavement giving like an anti performance like they're they're there they're dialed in you I never know? really and, got the pavement thing with them because I always felt like parquet courts always grooved pretty well you know, especially oh, yeah. like on my favorite parquet court stuff where mm-hmm. there's like a sort of forward velocity that like pavement never had i mean they, you know no. it's not like parquet court's drummer is like this he's he's not like a great drummer but he's a good driving type drummer that has that kind of strokesy thing like where it's good mm-hmm. driving music you know so okay so we're like we're we're we are like not super bullish on parquet courts and their overall legacy but we're we're, we're pro, sounds like. I'm pro. Yeah, I'm pro on them. I wish yeah, they me get, too. They deserve more radio play. Um, <laughs> I think there's a, I think there's a couple hooky songs here that could that could land that could land on alt rock. They should, you know, Danger Mouse should have pl- put on some, you know, bluesy guitars. You know, he should have done like the the Black Keys thing on this record, and they could at least get some beer commercial placements. You know, oh yeah, that, um, that would have yeah, been a good that, direction. Get some of that spoon that spoon stuff. <laughs> um, <laughs> Jeremy, it's always a pleasure, man. Thank you for making time. Always fun. And you are officially a friend of the podcast now. This is your second time. Oh my goodness, on. yeah. I'm a returning I'm a I'm a returning member. You're I've a friend. Got my, I got my two hole punch card now. Yep, you're like a you're, you're, it's like the Freemasons. It's like when a secret I get, society. When I get ten, do I get like a what what what, what do I get when I get when I get ten free, like ten free punch cards? And that's ten, when you, that's ten when times you get, on the pod. You get the red velvet jacket, I think. Oh, we'll, man, that's we'll, great. We'll, we'll have the ten timers club at some point. I think uh <laughs> You know, because I, okay. I was going to say five timers, but I think I've, there's already been people that have been on four or five times, and I don't have a red velvet jacket yet, so I'll, I'll, we'll push it up to ten times. Do I have okay, to sew yeah. these jackets? Uh, well, we'll see. Yeah, I think you maybe do. we can uh, hook up. Uh, you know, we'll see. We'll see. We'll, we'll, we'll get a deal somewhere. Gotta farm that out. Yeah. <laughs> Jeremy, well, thanks again, man. It's always a yeah, pleasure. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. It's always great. All right, man. Take care. You too. All right, that was me and Jeremy Larson. Talking about Kanye, talking about Father John Misty, talking about parquet courts. Um, I feel, you know, varying degrees of enthusiasm for all three of those albums, but I think you should check them out. Check them out for yourself. See what you think. Let me know what you think. Uh, go to Cella Rock Pod on Twitter. Again, that's C-L-E-C-E-L-E Rock Pod. Guys, thanks again for listening uh, to this episode of Celebration Rock. Thank you to our producer, Derek for setting everything up. Thank you, Derek Madden. Also, uh, shout out to Jason, Jason, Josh Copperman, not Jason (laughs) Copperman, Josh Copperman. You wrote our theme song. Thank you so much for doing that. And uh, thank you all for listening to the show, supporting us, leaving us reviews, telling your friends about us. You're the people that make this show possible. So thanks for listening and and being in our corner. We'll be back again next week. Uh, We'll look forward to talking to you then. Take care, guys. On the Westwood One Podcast Network. 